0: Good morning again, whether you're in person or on Zoom, welcome. Um, If I haven't had the chance to meet you, my name's Kevin. Um, As Travis said, our scripture readings were very different this morning. We're trying to draw out a theme that I'm going to be uh, talking about more in in just a minute. First, I want to alert you to the front of our worship guide and to the things that are inside it. So The front is a piece of art that is... Part of uh, the logo, a new logo of Church of the Lamb produced by Julie Eastwood. Julie, can you raise your hand? I got nervous a few minutes ago. What? Did she run away, Matt? Oh, there she comes. She's walking in. Grand entrance. Thank you, Julie. So this is a beautiful piece of art. And you'll see the more basic part of our logo that is on uh, one of the bookmarks, uh, or both the bookmarks that you'll find in your worship guide. And I'll draw your attention to those more in... um, in just a minute but today is our annual celebration and meeting as Travis said um, Church of the Lamb held its first service six years ago November 30th the service was in what was then the home of Scott and Zoe Hansen. and a lot has happened in those six years and the fact that that home no longer belongs to the Hansons but now belongs to the Dormans that speaks to the fact that while some things have changed other things have remained. Six years isn't that long necessarily, but it is still a reason to give thanks that despite a lot of the changes, most of the people who are at that first service are still here. Can you raise your hand if you're at the first service for Church of the Lamb? Isn't that awesome? Yeah. This was the core group that started this church. And the Lord has added to our number, It hasn't looked like the book of Acts, I'll say. At least in the early days of Acts, the Lord was adding to their number daily. And it's been slower for Church of the Lamb, but it's happened. In one sense, the mission of every church is the same. Every church is called to make disciples, to bring glory to Christ, to love Christ, and to love others. But, you know, every human being is uniquely created by God called to follow Jesus in distinctive ways, and churches are made up of individuals, so every church is uniquely itself, uniquely gifted, uniquely called by God to carry out the mission that Christ gives his church to make disciples, and this issue comes out in the gospels in a poignant story of Peter, the apostle Peter, and the beloved disciple John. After his resurrection, Jesus is telling Peter what it's going to look like for him to follow him in the future once Jesus has ascended. And and Jesus essentially says to Peter, it's not going to be easy. It's not the life that you always planned for yourself. Peter is interested in a better offer after Jesus tells him what's going to happen to him. And so he turns around and looks at the beloved disciple and says, what about him? And Jesus tells Peter, basically, mind your business, Peter. I'll take care of him. You follow me. And Jesus in this interaction reveals to us what it looks like to have a healthy individuality. It's not that we decide for ourselves who we will be, make up an identity for ourselves that when then we call on everybody else to uh, affirm for us. Instead, Healthy individuality is we listen to Jesus Christ as individuals, the creator, the redeemer, the only one who truly knows us as human beings, the only one who can give us a stable sense of identity and a constantly shifting world. We listen to him within the community of faith, and he speaks to us, and he says, this is how I'm calling you to follow me. This is how I've gifted you to serve me. And with each individual, with each church, Jesus seeks to be embodied in a distinctively unique and beautiful way. Same mission, different people, different gifts. So in our six years as a church, we've tried to figure out what this looks like for Lamb. What are the unique gifts and opportunities Jesus has given us to make disciples and to glorify him? We were planted by Church of the Incarnation, but we're not Church of the Incarnation. Every child has its mother's DNA and one day must figure out how to differentiate from its mother. And if you're living close to your mother, that can require deeper wisdom and intentionality. That's not a bad thing. Hear me out. (laughs) It just requires wisdom. Here's something I've been learning over the past few years. You don't find out who you are by rebelling, by trying not to be someone else. You can't force an authentic difference. And if you try, it's going to look and feel exactly that, forced, contrived. Everyone else and you yourself will know that it's not real. It's not uniquely beautiful. It takes patience to discern how God has formed you, how he's called you to serve him and his kingdom in the world. So we're in a stage at Church of the Lamb where we're solidifying those things that make us unique, uniquely called and gifted by God. The gifts Christ has given us to serve Him and His kingdom. We've tried different things as a church over the years. And you know, as long as they're not sinful, we should never feel ashamed of the stages we go through on the way to discerning how God has made us. Maybe after the fourth time we change our major in college, maybe then we should start to feel a little bit bad. Really, though, we, we, we shouldn't be hard on ourselves or hard on our children. This is part of growing up. Now, the mission and values bookmark in your worship guide. I want to make sure you, you have a hold of that. This is the one with the, the lamb at the very top of it. Can you find that? This This bookmark it in a really simple and beautiful way represents the journey that our church has been on to where we are now and to where we sense Christ calling us to go. It captures so much of what our church has talked about over the years and has tried to give language to. And again, it does it in a beautiful and simple way. And for that, you should give thanks to Julie and to Kelly because they are wonderful at coming up with specific, concise language. Now, this is a mission that I want you to know I am extremely excited about. I, I mean, I could stand up here and, and talk about a mission and try to invite you into it, all of that. But I, but I really want you to know that I'm I'm extremely excited about this. Can't you tell I'm excited? <laughs> Seriously, this is a mission that I want to be part of. If I were at another church, I hope it would have a mission like this. And this is what it is. Abiding in Christ as his disciples, invited to rest, compelled to love. Abiding in Christ as his disciples, invited to rest, compelled to love. Now there's values there that I'm not going to have time to get to all of them, of course. I I don't want you to be reading them right right now, so stop if you are. I want you to listen. I want to spend a few minutes teasing out how we've arrived here and why I think it fits us so well. Then I'm going to talk about how we're living into this. Now, the most common place that abide is heard or or thought of is in John 15, this gospel passage, passage that I read to you a minute ago. But if you look around, what I hope you gathered, what we tried to show as scriptures were being read this morning, is that this word is everywhere. The word carries with it a vision for all of God's purposes and for all of our lives as his people. The word abide comes not from a movie, just to be clear, not from a Cohen Brothers movie, if anybody's thought of that, but from one of God's oldest promises. God promised he, was, he would give his people a place, a land to dwell in. A place like Eden in the beginning. You know, Eden was supposed to be a project that Adam, Eve, and their family would extend into the rest of the creation. The garden that God planted in Eden, they were to work and expand on. They would dwell with God there. And when you hear the word dwell, hear abide. Same word throughout the scriptures. Dwell is abide. They would dwell with God there and continue His work. This was God's purpose for humanity, to abide with Him and to continue his work, expand his goodness into the world. Now, when that project crumbled, God restarted this plan with the family of Abraham. He didn't throw that plan away. He restarted it. And the land he promised them was Israel. Israel would be an evangelistic outpost for the rest of the world. God would dwell there, abide there with Israel. And the nations were going to come visit. He says they're going to flow into this land. And they would see the beauty of Yahweh and they would learn in Israel that Yahweh is the only true God. Israel would be a land of refuge from the darkness of the world. And ultimately, Israel would be to a land of rest. This is what the passage that uh, uh, Alec read to us in Isaiah said. It would be a restful place. Now, even though there's this promise in the Old Testament of a land, there's also a recognition that no land since Eden has been utterly free from decay. So the psalmist says, Lord, you have been our dwelling place in all generations. You have been our dwelling place, God. You have been the place that we abide. Now, what does that mean? Well, basically, what the psalmist is saying is God himself is the only stable place to live in the world, which, if you think about this for very long, it's it's a strange thing to say. What does it mean to live in God, to abide in God himself? The Bible really does claim that God is not just a being. God is somehow a location. He is a domain in himself. So the very next Psalm reaffirms this. This is what Virginia read for us. He who dwells in the shelter of the Most High will abide in the shadow of the Almighty. The aim of Old Testament faith is to come to live with God in a place of shalom, genuine rest peace from all the darkness of the world that afflicts humanity but the creation since eden has been unstable and the bible is saying the only stable place in the world is with god in his presence being where he is but there's a tension here that we have to name And it's a tension between the spiritual and the physical. You see, heaven and earth were never intended to be completely separate. The God of the Bible creates material things. Things we can touch, see, and smell. He creates us, each other, people that we can hug normally. The redemption that God promises is also material. Renewed land, renewed people. So the Old Testament ends with a hope that heaven and earth won't always be separated. Creation won't always be unstable. God's people will one day abide with him in a land of rest. This is not just a spiritual promise that God is making. It's spiritual and physical all in one. Now, in the, in the present, it feels mostly spiritual. And that's the way it was in the Old Testament. It felt mostly spiritual. But even then, they had the temple, which they would go to to experience the presence of God. And so there's this tension they live within of the spiritual and the physical. One day, they will be united fully, and they will dwell with God in a land of rest. So then Jesus arrives in the world, and he says to a group of people in John chapter 6, which Levon read for us, that those who eat his flesh and drink his blood abide in him. That's a lot, isn't it? What is Jesus saying? One, he's claiming to be God. Only God calls people to abide in him in the Bible. Only God is a stable place to live. Two, Jesus is saying that abiding in him means receiving his redemptive work, his body and blood that would be offered up for our sin and for our redemption and for the redemption of the world. And three, Jesus is saying that the table of Eucharist will be a physical way that we encounter him and abide with him. Listen. The spiritual and the physical are not intended to be entirely separated for eternity. And so even now, Jesus is saying, the Eucharistic table will be a physical place where you can abide with me. At this table, heaven and earth will overlap. This table is a stable place, though the whole world gives way. So the call to abide in Jesus is an invitation to this kind of rest that God has promised. The Apostle Paul, he often writes to Christians and describes them as being in Christ. And what I want to say to you is that this is the language of abiding. Paul is saying that Christians have been rescued from the kingdom of darkness in this world and brought into the kingdom of Christ where we live in his victory over evil, sin, and death. Christ is a stable place to live to abide and to rest. But the call to abide isn't an invitation to be lazy. That's not what Christ means by by rest. It's not just about our tranquility. I love this about this mission that we're we're developing and that we're adopting for ourselves, about our Christian faith. If you need rest, here it is. Christ is the only place for genuine and restorative rest in the world. Not a vacation where you just go all out and treat yourself. That's not genuine rest. Christ is. But if you're eager to be part of something, too, if you want to be part of seeking real transformation in the world, in humanity, well, that's exactly what this is about, too. Abide in me, Jesus says, and you will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. What Jesus is saying is that all the deep and genuine change in our lives and in the world comes as part of the love of Christ poured out into our lives and into the world. So again... This mission statement encapsulates, this this word even encapsulates the whole vision of Christian faith. Abiding in Christ as his disciples, invited to rest, compelled to love. How is Church of the Lamb living into this vision? Well, we're doing it now. You might not feel restful with this wind gust coming through right now, but our worship, done in word and in sacrament, is a place to abide in Christ and come to rest in Him. You know, even the liturgy, we sometimes feel self-conscious because we feel like uh, this liturgy might be difficult for newcomers. But you know, liturgy, what it's about is being a place of hospitality where you don't have to work up worship. You come in, and over and over you come into this liturgy, and you find that it's like home. It's a place where you can rest, where even in the times where you don't feel like you've got it in you, the liturgy helps you and it pulls you along. It's kind to you. It's a place where you can live and dwell and rest with God, and it can give you words when you don't have them, good words. So our worship, word and sacrament, this is a place of rest. We want to preserve this as a place that people can come who are weary and worn out from the world, and they can find something that's reliable, something that they can lean on, something that's stable. This is another gift of the liturgy. Week after week, you pretty much know what it's going to be like. That's not so that it can just become ritual and worn out for you. It's so that when the weeks are hard, you know that it's here for you. Now, here's something else we're already doing, but we're going to keep doing. As a church, we need to be a place where we actively encourage each other toward abiding in Christ. A deep abiding in Christ. Spurring each other on in relationship with him. Church of the Lamb should never be a place for people to simply rest easy. As if... uh, You just keep your attendance at worship, maybe something else with the church, and that's all you need to do. In our posture toward each other, we want to display Christ's active, passionate, devoted love, pursuing, encouraging, challenging, whatever posture is appropriate for each other at the time. If you're weak and worn out, the church should be a place where we can expect that people are going to be kind to us are going to hold us in that place of weakness and they're, but they're going to make sure that we don't completely fall down. If we're not walking in faith, if we're going growing slack in our devotion to the Lord, this should be a place where we're, we know people are going to kick us into shape. We're going to be challenged. We need to be a place where we know that we're going to be challenged into an active abiding in Christ and in abiding in Christ as much as we are invited to rest, we should also be compelled to love. And so it, we're going to start doing some small things right now. Um, right now, our home as a church is Kieseltown. And so soon we're going uh, we to take little COVID-appropriate food baskets to the neighbors here in Kieseltown, Just, especially the ones who experience noise pollution on Sunday mornings from us being here. It's a small way to practice being in place as a church. Now, I said earlier that this mission incorporates lots of what we've talked about as a church in the past. And something we've talked about a lot is a future physical place, a piece of land that incorporates worship, beauty, even work. Perhaps some kind of farming, because this is an agricultural area, what if a church took up the burden of this kind of work to show that God cares about the land and he cares about what's been done here in the past? Now, thinking about the language of abide has only sharpened our sense that this is part of how God has made us as a church, how he's invited us to serve him in our area. God promises that one day heaven and earth are going to be joined together. One, that we will finally abide with him in a place of rest and fruitfulness. So Church of the Lamb, working to create a space for beauty and rest, in doing that, we will forecast God's promise for the community, for the world. No matter how big or small it may be, we'll seek to be an evangelistic outpost of Christ's kingdom here. A place that when people come to it, Christian or not, they sense that it's a place of rest and beauty. Is this the kind of God that this is? Maybe I should consider this God. Now we're calling this dream the Abide Project. We don't know what it looks like. We recognize that it's a step of faith. But we're asking you to give of yourself in your prayers, in your creativity, even in your finances to help us see this mission grow. We believe that part of who we are called to be involves a physical space that we can invite people into where they can experience this God of the Bible who sent his son in the flesh to die for us so that this world and we as his people might be renewed. And so we believe that that place will invite people into his presence. We believe that God is calling us to abide in him as his disciples, as a church. We believe that he is calling us to represent what it looks like to truly be at rest in the world, to truly rest in him, and to find that in the abiding, we end up bearing much, much fruit. And that all the longings of the world to see justice and love and kindness, that all those longings are truly found in one place, that they're found in Jesus. So, This is how Jesus is shaping us and calling us to serve him as a church, to abide in Christ as his disciples, invited to rest, and compelled to love. It's in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.